Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. Welcome everybody to Jesus Collective podcast. This is a bonus episode that we're excited to bring to you today. And my name is John Hand. I'm leadership formation pastor at Jesus Collective. If you are new to Jesus Collective uh, and just have been kind of stumbled across Jesus Collective or somebody shared this podcast with you, we are a relational network that is seeking to amplify, unite and equip a Jesus centered movement. And part of this experience of our podcast is that uniting and equipping Jesus-centered leaders and those who are wanting to learn how do we navigate in a Jesus-centered way the complexities of leadership in our day. And we're here with some practitioners, those who are in the trenches in a local church who are trying to find new imagination for how do we lead in the way of Jesus with him at the center and what difference does that make? And we are excited to explore this conversation and it's good to see you, Ange. How are you? Hi, good. Good to be back. If you don't know me, I'm Angela Lamb, and I co-host this podcast normally. But in episode number one, I missed the fun. So I am so excited we have the bonus episode. Whoa! We are so happy to welcome back Heather Thomas and Johnny Morrison, who are co-pastors at Missio Day in Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, Salt Lake City, is that like Salt Lake City proper? We didn't talk about that. Are you like right in the heart of Salt Lake City? Yep. We are. Yeah. Oh. Hey, well, welcome to this shared space. Love that we Thank can do you. this mm-hmm. over the miles. The conversation that we had that I got to listen in on at least uh, was so rich and so fruitful and the conversation around it just begged for us to come back. And I think it speaks to our moment where this What you are doing is so inspiring and challenging. It's inspiring to see courageous new models. I don't know if that's the right thing. It's inspiring to see this. But then uh, in the last conversation, when you were talking about why you were doing this, the things that you had observed that caused this to be an option that came on the table of co-lead pastors, um, is so challenging to some of our assumptions about church. So I am excited about this conversation because I think that there is some real brilliance that happens in the moment where pain brings us to the need to innovate. And ultimately, as I listened to that conversation, I just kept hearing the voice of God being like, yeah, this is not a new invitation. <laughs> so hooray to you for innovating in this way because it's not the norm. But also, this is not a new uh, call on my people. So I'm really grateful that you were a game to lead back in for more of this. Oh, yeah. Maybe, okay. Maybe for our listeners, you could give us just a brief, just a brief. Okay, sure, you're co-late pastors, but maybe a little bit of a brief of how you functionally have broken this down to give us a picture as you give your various inputs, we can picture the context in which you're talking about, maybe also a little context of SEO day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the question was a little bit of context about our roles and a little bit of context about the community. So start with the community. Uh, we mentioned this in the last podcast. I'll try to say it quickly. We went through a major transition in 2019 and to kind of further the statement that you just made, Ange, like there was pain, there was turmoil, there was some difficulties in our experience that we're having And out of that turmoil and difficulty, the experiments that came out of that were experiments in co-leadership, along with a handful of other experiments in actualizing mutuality. So the big revelation to us of the last four years in a lot of ways 
was a deep need for uh, theology and imagination and habits and practices of mutuality. Co-leadership became that primary experiment. Now, in terms of how we've done co-leadership, Heather and I have experimented with a lot of different ideas and philosophies and role divisions throughout that time. We were just talking about this yesterday. I thought we had helpful language for it. Um, We try to rely heavy on giftings. So how does our gifting shape the way that responsibilities are divided? So we use the APES, the fivefold gifting from Ephesians. um, And we use that to divide role. So my gift set is apostolic and prophetic. Heather's is shepherding and evangelistic. And so we try to think about how does the leadership responsibilities in the community come out of that roles. So we are like one thing that Heather is responsible for that makes a lot of sense as a evangelist and shepherd is we, the phrase community formation is the one that we've been using since yesterday. <laughs> um, okay. We have other phrases in the new past. title, new title, community formation, which speaks to growth and health and healing and spiritual formation, but also leadership and innovation and lots of other structural concerns as well. Um, and then uh, like I we're start, I don't know that I have great language for what I do yet, but like I tend to lead out in teaching and content development. And then we both take huge roles in vision, um, which has been often a question that people ask us about. And so you could maybe divide up the way we talk about vision in that I am directionally focused, like where are we going in a lot of ways? And then the language we've been using is that Heather is movement focused. Like how do people get there? Um, but they're both the same. They're two sides of the exact same coin. And so to separate them and say like one is vision that there's not feels like a huge reduction of what those responsibilities are. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then like the other like tertiary responsibilities kind of flow out of that, but they feel like those are even more places of experimentation. Like who reads on Sunday, who leads small groups, like all of that feels really flexible in light of gifting and, uh, the other broader conversations we're having. Heather, it's okay. So listener, if you did not listen to the first episode, you are totally going to want to do that because there is a lot of assumptions we're going to make in this conversation based on the conversation that already happened. But Heather, one of the things that I really hit with our listening audience for the first episode was the juxtaposition or the relationship between egalitarian and mutuality. So maybe that's a concept that is worth repeating in this context as we go forward, because Johnny just tossed mutuality out there, which was so helpful from the first conversation. But maybe you could uh, show the relationship between those for us. Yeah, we talk about mutuality as the vehicle that we're in. So it's the way, it's the how, um, it's the way that we are moving about in accomplishing the vision and the mission of the church. And so it isn't limited to just Johnny and I as co-leaders. There's a mutuality that is practiced Mm -hmm. between myself or Johnny and the staff or between us and the community or even in terms of how we're hoping to relate to God, like there's a mutuality. And so mutuality is the way that we do this. It's the vehicle that we're in. And so that's why when Johnny talks about our responsibilities and so forth, they can be shifting and changing. And it's based on the, the mutual practice that we see as primary um, for, for embodying a sense of communal empowerment that isn't about a singular lead and the singular lead owning a vision or the singular lead driving a community somewhere or a singular lead being the one that kind of has the epiphany from God and is then supposed to disseminate that to the rest of the community and hope the community gets on board. It's just a different paradigm altogether, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. To me, it makes a lot of sense as much as I'm understanding how this works, you know, like you say, co-pastoring, can you succinctly define co-pastoring? Yes. It's a shared leadership responsibility for the vision, health and growth of Missio Day community. And the partnership implies different responsibilities and the partnership is the context in which that shared leadership takes place. So co-leadership is the shared responsibility for the vision, health and growth of Missio Day community. It's done in partnership, which implies different responsibilities. So how can I ask, how is that different than than a traditional structure where even a, a lead pastor, he or she would say, I'm on a team and I lead a team that has shared responsibility for the vision, for the health of the church. So how how is this any any different from that? 
Well, do you mean how is it different, like co-leadership versus having a yeah. lead? Yeah, like uh, so. According to that definition, it was saying you and Johnny are taking shared responsibility for the vision, the health of the community, in a in a way that each each is doing that responsibility according to the way that they're gifted. That's what I heard. That could be said of a of a leadership team that doesn't have a co-pastor model that has a single pastor model, but isn't but is a team. You know, so they're under that person and they're all taking responsibility for the health of the church and they're all using their gifts in different ways. So what makes this model, what makes this different than a single pastor model? Well, so I think there's a few things that come to my mind when you say that, I think the first thing that Heather and I have tried to emphasize with folks, and I feel like I'm having co-leadership conversations more and more with people and co-leadership seems like a solution to a problem they're having. And I think I always want to pump the brakes a bit on that. Mutuality is the solution to the problem that you're having. Co-leadership yes. is an experiment in mutuality. Yes. So I think first and foremost, like, Ooh, could you do mutuality? Boom. That was good. In, <laughs> I was practicing. Could you do mutuality in a, in a different model and a different experiment? I think you could. I think you could. However, I would say like, if you believe in mutuality and you believe in a shared giftings, then I would be interested to interrogate traditional structures and see if you've actually put your money where your mouth is. Because uh, what I've seen in traditional structures that, that center on the linchpin of a singular lead is that the, the giftings of the other people on that team are generally in support of that particular person and that particular person's instantiation of leadership and vision and understanding versus that person's giftings also being mutually submitted to the team around them. So that person may lean into the team for wisdom and guidance and instruction, but at the end of the day, that person gets to like be over that team and determine and direct where vision goes, which is not true mutuality because there's no true submission from that authority person to the team around them. Again, could it happen? Totally. But I think that tends to be the, the imagination in traditional structures is that the team submits ultimately, ultimately. to the, to the lead <laughs> authority figure. And that person is never ultimately responsible for submitting back. So there's no mutual submission uh, there may be occasional submission, but there's no mutual daily practice submission amongst the the larger team, which feels necessary for mutuality. And, and mutuality, just to recap, mutuality is a solution to a problem, you say, or an or a, a way to address a problem. What's how would you? What is the problem? The a non reciprocal. Non, non-mutually submissive, submissive relationship between a leader and the people they're leading? Is, is that the problem? What's the problem? I would say one of them is an overemphasis on certain types of gifts. So when the gifts are talked about in the context of the text, they're talked about with equal value and emphasis. But unfortunately, it feels like entrepreneurial, teaching, visionary, like those are the things that are kind of elevated as as leadership and i do think that that's what ends up costing the church because we end up overemphasizing one point person and that typically like suppresses empowerment and so i think and maybe that's where i would say like one of the you know one of the the problems is is that it's the overemphasis of certain types of gifts that then doesn't have to submit to other types of gifts that are a part of the community and the name attached to certain types of gifts, visionary, entrepreneurial leadership, that then becomes the lead pastor. And then the structures and systems and types of submission that are, yeah, is invited from there is limited to, like Johnny said, it's, it's, it's a one way, generally speaking, kind of, um, it's a hierarchy. It ends up being a hierarchy. Yeah. And it's a lose-lose because while it may be, especially if you're part of the disempowered, you look up with envy maybe at the person that is holding all this power with no responsibility to submission. But when you're the one sitting in the position with all of the, at the top of this hierarchy, the pressure is unreal. The pressure is unreal. And we see, we now have a whole string of stories 
to show how that's just not sustainable, even for that person. So while for a moment that might feel like a party to that person or a privilege of some kind, it's actually a death to both parties that are involved in a system that's like this. I love the fact, I, I mean, I that juxtaposition that you um, are like fleshing out here of mutuality is the solution, not the model. When you press into that, it completely changes the conversation because when we start talking about mutuality as the um, model, all of a sudden you're in all these conversations about like, well, who can fire who? And who's like, well, okay, well, fine. You used to have one person that's at the top of the hierarchy, but now you have two people at the top. Right? So then you get into this, like, well, is there a cat fight at the top? And then are they submitting any better? Like, if the, the model is not the solution because the mutuality we've all been in relationships that had an appropriate hierarchy of some way, shape or form that made sense on paper, but it, it 100% counted on the character of the person, which is, yes, we should be able to count on each other's character, but we have to work to get like, we do better in a, if the heart space doesn't change, no org structure is going to fix this. I think mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to get. Mm -hmm. at. If the heart space doesn't change, which is where you blew yes. my imagination open about, uh, we were trying to talk about egalitarian thought, like train of thought, and you all were like, it's less egalitarian and more mutuality. It blows the it sheds a lot more light on the problems that are at play currently in our uh, context, mm -hmm. but it also blows open the possibilities of solutions. And mm -hmm. it's a, mm -hmm. it's a brilliant juxtaposition. I think, I think something you said is really powerful. Like there mutuality we believe and are committed to it. Like it solves, I, I, I feel like I need to go back just a second. Like it solves problems, but it is good. We think it's good in and of itself. Like that mutuality is a good mm -hmm. thing to do. That mutuality is an image of what we see in God's love and God's working. And we believe that it better empowers the community, better gives space for gifting. Mm -hmm. So we believe that it is like good in and of itself and that it does good things in the community. But that notion is what, theologian Walter Wink would call a legitimating narrative. It's a, it's a narrative that then leads to structures, practices, habits, and models and other narratives also exist. And so that's for us, I think been the big work is like, how do you help people have a narrative, a story, an imagination of mutuality that presses against hierarchical, a Trinitarian, uh, authoritarian narratives of power and then let experimentation kind of grow out of and emerge out of a new developing story. And then kind of in the inverse, the experiments push on the former story and try to challenge it and open up space for a new story to begin to emerge. Cause if the story doesn't change, the structures, no matter how much they change will still resemble the story. It'll just become more insidious. Is that what you meant in the last podcast by a, egalitarian structure that is still functioning kind of from a patriarchal perspective or in a, in a patriarchal way. Is that what mm -hmm. you meant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the, it's like the, the, the roles haven't actually changed and the expectations of those roles haven't changed. Just who is in them has changed. But like, is that actually serving anyone? If you just take out one, you just take out one person, put a new person in that space and say, okay, do the same things all over again. And we've changed it. Cause now, you know, now you're a woman or now you're a person of color and you're like, well, you've actually just forced that person into the same pre-existing models and methods and metrics. And they may bring some change to it. Uh, but there are also a good likelihood that the system itself, the narratives itself are going to force them into an adapting to the existing structures. And so it'll look still like the, narrative underneath it and you, you've mentioned system a couple times i think that's interesting you said that uh as Ange opened with some context that you know sometimes it's pain that gives birth to innovation uh i know your story a bit there's pain behind said there's pain at the impetus of this rethinking this deconstruction and reconstruction for you of leadership like what what do you see in the, in the, in the experience that you've had of that impetus, that painful impetus that was in the system that has provoked you 
to be where you are today? I think maybe what I'd say is like recognizing that, uh, that a lot of the intentions are good, like of the lead pastors. Mm-hmm. And so the men that I've worked with who take on the lead pastor role have been um, such good friends and have treated me with an enormous amount of, of respect. And, and I think realizing to what Ange said too, like, oh, it doesn't necessarily mean that there was ill intention here, that anyone mm-hmm. was being ill intended, but the lead pastor acting as an interpretive lens that is limited, like as an interpretive lens, the one individual goes to the elders or to the staff or to the community. Um, and then there's, there tends to be less relational trust. And so the weight of the interpretation of what's happening between elder or between community or between staff, like lands on that one individual and the elders tend to be more involved on a personal level with the lead pastor and sometimes more involved with the community or the staff. And so if there's conflict, um, like there just tends to be relational bias or even just it's impossible to interpret other people's experiences through one lens. And when you're Mm -hmm. asking one human to consistently do that, it kind of consumes everyone mm-hmm. or it causes fracture in every, in every space. So it's fracturing in the sense of how the community trusts elders or authority. It fractures how the community feels towards each other because like, why don't you just trust the lead? Why don't you just trust the authority that they have or like elders, if they take up issue with something that the lead is, is saying, then there's kind of this internal conflict that the lead has to hold. It doesn't necessarily bring to the staff or the community. I mean, and again, I don't think in, our, in my experience that the intention was not to practice in some ways mutuality, but the system itself doesn't provide a spaciousness, a, a spaciousness environment and for that to happen, it mm-hmm. it kind of implodes on itself in many ways. That's interesting. I'm I'm uh, a friend of mine is I've seen this play out several different churches that I've known of where you have uh, a staff team that is actually very frustrated with the lead, the solo alpha lead pastor. They're very frustrated, and they would say the church is not in a good place. We're not being heard. We don't. Our input doesn't matter. We're very disempowered. And the elder board, because that pastor is the fulcrum from the staff to the elder board, the elder board would have no idea. And the staff doesn't go around the pastor because that's a break of protocol mm-hmm. to, to say there's a problem. And so the elders think everything's hum, humming along fine and, and getting the interpretation of how things are from one person. And the whole variety of the staff on a multi-staff church would say, no way, it's, mm-hmm. that is not happening in the way that is being represented and you're saying this functionally then, how does it work to break down those silos, the, the fragmentation? Well, I think that question is, that gets us into the experimentation question, which is like, what structures, what new leadership practices do you experiment with um, out of this conviction that that is a problem? So I think it's almost like diagnosing the problem at the beginning that you can get siloed, diagnosing that that doesn't lead to anyone's thriving and flourishing, and that a different thing is possible. So I feel like that begins the process. And then lots of different experiments are open to you. I think answer this, like the, the world becomes open when you have like a new narrative to think about. So what we did at Missio is change how our like board, which we call a guiding team came into existence. Cause in the initial model, it was, I think again, with good intentions, but was well controlled by the senior pastor. Like he got to really, he got to have the final approval of how those people were nominated on the team. We have tried to move to a system that was, uh, again, this is an experiment that is more in the hands of the community. And then that submits the candidates to a gift assessment. So this is where the APES again, like our fivefold, we're trying to use it again in this place to say like what voices are not on the team. And then between recommendations from the community, use of like a gift assessment, that's actually the primary way that people come onto the guiding team. And so all of a sudden, like this is just one experiment, but like I'm not choosing my friends to be on the team. And I'm not choosing the people who are simply in relational proximity to me to be on the team because I trust them and know them. Uh, but now it's like a much more broader 
voicing of the community and a much more broader accessibility of the community. So that's like, that's like, again, this is the experimentation page. That's one of our experiments in creating a more equitable board of directors. that's more accessible to the community, more accessible to the staff. Yeah. And it's having a deacon and then uh, like different di- staff, like bringing, bringing a staff person on as well as lead pastors, you bring staff into that space, you bring community members into that space. And so then there's a, there the kind of conversations that become so limited to particular kinds of individuals, hopefully, again, that's opened up and in opening it up, some of that weight um, is relieved and shared. And so, um, and I think that the feeling there is that when you share that weight and you, you share that, that somehow who's, where does the responsibility lie? And again, it relies in the practice of mutuality. In our first episode, I felt like there was such rich uh, examples given of where we see this in scripture. Like, what was it that theologically gave you confidence to begin risking in these ways? I I love the amount of language that is experimenting and like, we're just trying this on for size. I think that's especially as we are in this moment, looking for courageous innovation to move the church beyond some of the things that we see coming out of the hierarchical structures. Of course, we trust ourselves (laughs) to God's loving care and guidance, but also uh, there has to be ways where we acknowledge that some of these are not going to go well. So I love the fact that you've completely normalized experimentation and adjustment and transition and a process. I, I would love to, sorry, I forgot the full reason I referenced the first podcast, but I thought you did a great job of giving robust theological backing to why you would be willing to risk in this way. Like mm-hmm. it was clear that you were following God's prompting and some degree of um, modeling that you had seen in scripture. I'd love to be talking about like how this actually plays out and and uh, maybe talk a little bit about transition, maybe less so because in the first episode, you talked about how this transition happened at Missio Day. I would love to hear from each of you, uh, this may be, you can decline this question, what had to die in you in order to embrace mutuality? Because when I'll just talk for a minute while you think like you can tune me out, but like when I think about any church that I know that is based on a more hierarchical uh, structure, trying to embrace this concept of mutuality, they get like super caught up in the logistical checks and balances and all of that, because this is so uh, relationally nebulous. Where's the buck stop, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I think if we're totally honest with ourselves, our obsession on those questions points back to some beliefs and mm-hmm. some values that we carry. And I I would say, I mean, John and I, I, John, you can speak for yourself, but I feel like we work in mutuality all of the time in a way that is so life-giving. Oh, to yeah. Me. Constantly. I love that. And, 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 and annoyingly, let's just name that. <laughs> oh, although like, I Because that's a part of it. But I'm super convicted when we asked them the question about efficiency in the last episode, yeah. they were like, yeah. yeah, you kind of, that's one of the things I would say you had to die to was like, we are so committed to this, that right. even if it's not efficient, we're going to do it. And then God surprised you that his system was actually still efficient. John <laughs> <laughs> and I are still in the annoying phase of <laughs> But, um, I just know enough about history and I think you know enough about my story, John, to know that if we were to move into a formal structure in any church body and begin the process of trying to embrace this mutuality um, idea, different things would have to die in us. You would have certain things you'd have to like crucify and I'd have certain things I'd have to crucify in order to step into it. So Mm -hmm. there's my chance to give you a shot at thinking. I don't know what had to die in you to embrace mutuality. I think I would honestly like reframe that a tiny bit. Um, And I think the thing I would say is like, what has to be born in me? You know, (laughs) and it's like, no, the things that have to be born in me to practice mutuality are humility 
an emotional awareness, like the hard work of emotional awareness and having a high emotional IQ. Because in this moment, am I activated by something this person is saying? Or is there something genuine that we need to talk about? Mm-hmm. Um, can I hold on to the good in the other person while, um, while holding the other accountable? And so it's not about dismissive. It's not about, it's not being coercive or corrective. It's like, no, no, I'm going to hold on to the good in this other person or this community or, and, and I'm going to also hold them accountable. And that again is an enormous practice. Am I okay at apology? Have I learned how to apologize? And I apologize for my own integrity not because I want to take response. I need the other person to take responsibility or I need them to respond well or that they'll accept my apology, but I apologize for my own integrity. Mm-hmm. That there's something that I need to take responsibility for. And so I name that and how that affects the thing is secondary. It's not, I don't need to be defensive. I don't need to be like protective. I'm not, hol- I'm not holding on to anything. I'm being self-reflective. And so in that I can take responsibility And then do I have an openness to feedback from whomever? Like you might have just walked into the church and you have something to say to me. And so how do, what what needs to be born in me so that I stay open to feedback and I don't close myself down. I don't assume that I know more than you because I'm like a vocational cleric. Like, there's a cut. Yeah. So I think as you can say, I feel passionate about these things. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I've always been like, okay, Heath, what needs to be born in you to make this practice real, mm-hmm. both with Johnny, with the staff and with the community. And then with the spirit of God, who's active and alive in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So Johnny, I'm going to give you a chance to answer, but I just have to say what that like wakes up in me is amazing because we talk a lot about leadership development and leaders go first. And one of the translations of this whole concept it leads us to this alpha solo leader. But it, what you just said there was like, and this is where leaders go first. But we don't talk about that. Like we think leaders go first because they go out and receive this God-given vision and they come back and impart it to the people. Mm-hmm. You know where leaders need to go first? As a leader, you know where I need to go first? I need to go there. So like, oh my gosh, uh, John said it, preach, Heather. Like that is so compelling and convicting to me about what it means to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. I think that's like, that's one of the things that sells mutuality to me consistently is that it is the space of personal transformation. So like if you're looking, if you're looking for a model that's going to lead to like a higher character and a more loving human, it feels like mutuality is going to be the thing that forces you to do that the most. That which is a personal selling point to me is that it leads to something really healthy and really good. And I, and I love the language you said of being born into us. Cause I think about this a lot. Like the, the thing that we struggle with in mutuality is you could use the language of abundance versus scarcity as well. Like, do you have an abundant imagination and do you believe that more leaders is actually better than less leaders? Cause oftentimes the thing that we're wrestling with is this notion of efficiency overrides all the decisions that we make. And so it's like convincing us that more leaders in the room all of a sudden becomes a negative, like there's a net negative to whatever we're trying to do because it's no longer efficient. It's no longer helpful or like having to share power with someone is no longer helpful because there's some kind of loss in that equation. And an abundant imagination says, actually, when you share something new comes into existence and more comes into existence, when there's more leaders in the room, that's actually more, that's actually a good thing. And when there's more people participating in the vision, there's actually more people participating in the vision and that's good. And it produces more things. And I think like, I think that's been surprising how, that conversation has required so much pressing on so many people's imaginations. I think mine, I think our communities, like our elders, like it's like, that feels like a consistent place of like, you don't even know where your imagination is restricted when it comes to seeing co-leadership or mutuality as an invitation into more. And you want to rewrite it as less. It feels like a threat. Mm-hmm. I mean, in what, in Western culture, it would, it, there's un, so we're all carrying uninspected beliefs about leadership around with us that we don't even know we believe about leadership. We're ourselves as leaders. And this one, I think when this conversation comes up, I think it creates, and I'm a 45 year old, like I'm the stereotype. I'm a middle-aged white guy <clears throat> and I'm, 
uh, I'm a, I've been a pastor of a congregation. I'm now in a role that's like helping to encourage and equip other pastors and pastor pastors to a degree. And when I hear this come up, there's a part of me that's like, Oh man, that's compelling. And then I think about myself as a church planter, as the, like I was the stereotype alpha pastor, single pastor. I was the only one employed on staff at the time when we started, we had people, you know, we had a team of us, but I was the one, the center of the hub, the delegator, the preacher, main communicator, the visionary caster. I was the structure builder and the, and the, the, the I was doing way too much. And, the, and if you were to propose this to me at the time, there would be a part of me that's like, yes, especially after about five years in like, okay, <laughs> I'm like, I'm ground down sufficiently. And then this other part of me that would be like this, this shame response, because it would feel like giving up. Like I didn't have what it takes. I mm -hmm. guess I don't have what it takes to be the, the, the leader pastor of this church. And I need to pull somebody else in to bear the load because I can't do it myself. And that feels like shame. That feels like failure. Potentially it feels like threat, uh, to the, to the ego. It feels like I'm not enough. So like, what do you say to me and others who hear this and we're like really compelled mm -hmm. and, uh, death. Mm -hmm. I think I say to you, yes, yes, you're not enough. Like, yes, what? you fail. Like, yes, you, I say yes to that, John. I say yes to that. Like, yes, your ego is bruised a little bit. Like, yes, mm -hmm. you've, you failed or yes, it was too much responsibility. And I, and I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry that you were given that much. I'm sorry that you've been told that you have to hold all of that. I'm mm. sorry that you've, yeah, that with all your might and all your good intention that you worked hard to accomplish something good and it was too weighty. And so I say, yes, to all the things that you just said. And I say like, I'm sorry. And then you, you can change it. Like, you don't have to keep doing that. Like, there's an imagination for the spirit that allows something new. And so I think it's Maya Angelou that says, like, like you've discovered something. Now, do it differently. Like, you don't have to keep on trying or keep on. And I think that's, to me, where the, that's, to me, is where if you double down and try again elsewhere, then I think you become culpable in something. Yeah, because now you know, your your awareness, you're not using that awareness to be transformative. You're using using the awareness that you have and you're going to double down elsewhere. And I'm like, that just I believe that to be wrong at the end of the day. That's not being held accountable. Yeah, the backstory, you know, when you say that those words pierce, because the backstory is I three years into the church plant, I had a nervous breakdown for the for the very reason that you're saying I wasn't enough. I didn't have what it takes. And that was like the most humiliating experience in my life. And the best, the best thing that ever happened to me in all the best ways. But I didn't like, when I came back in, we, uh, we distributed power differently, but it wasn't like, if I had this model as a vision, then that reentry would look very different than how it, how it unfolded when I came back from like a stress leave and had to reimagine how to, how to pastor. But I think there's a lot of us, uh, as middle-aged say white guys or middle-aged males bearing this weight of ministry. And it is crushing us. And where there's a silent say desperation that we're just watching unfold on the big picture with the celebrity types that are falling like stars, um, because, because it is crushing us and we're just not naming it. But are you saying, can I say, are you saying that this is the only way? Cause there's, there's another part of me that could hear you guys saying, well, you found the new model. This is the burnout proof model. This is the bully proof model. This is, you found the new model. There we go. Mm -mm. No, I think, I think, uh, I, I think it's a great question. Cause I was just thinking about there's, there's two sides of that conversation. There's like how, consistent the burnout is for the senior lead and the weight that, that places on them 
And, and the answer is not that co-leadership removes that. I think like that's, a, I, I wouldn't want to offer that as like, here's this solution to this problem. I think there's another hit, like, yeah, there's a few things that we just need to talk about. Like, I think that you have to have a vision for co-leadership for it to be sustainable. You have to believe that it's good for it to be sustainable. And in some ways, I think you have to believe that there is another possibility on the horizon that's bigger than the one that could have been birthed through your single leadership. So I think it has to be in a lot of ways like visionary carried uh, or like hope carried or theology carried, like something more is possible. And it's not even, it's not about, I mean, there can be failure conversations, but there's another side of it, which is like, there's actually something more I'm invited into. And there's something bigger that I'm invited into. And there's something like more possible for my church that I'm invited into. And then I think the other thing you have to say about that is that it's also hard. Like I was a singular lead. I was an employee and now I'm a co-lead. I don't, I don't know that in and of itself, the model saves you from those things. Like I think mutuality, the practice of mutuality creates some space where we're trying to submit to one another, give up responsibility, take rest, have higher values and some other practices. But like the model itself, I think I could see crushing people just as fast if there's not some other practices that are in place, some other theologies that are in place. So I, yeah, I just want to say that because it's not a, it's not like a one for all solution. Uh, to people's like burnout to their wariness. I think it could help. It can be a gift, but there's other things that has to be a part of this conversation. So we only have a few minutes left and I'd like to throw a curveball here and right at the tail end, but something is just niggling at my brain that this concept of mutuality, as we are talking about it, we keep applying it to maybe a leadership structure or a church model or whatever. But as as um, I was listening to Heather and John go back and forth on this sensation of, yes, own that you are not enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry you ever thought you were. Like, what a stinking burden for you to ever think that you were supposed to be enough and that you could be enough pushes back to me about things that I'm learning um, about discipleship and spiritual formation from the AA approach uh, from my friends in recovery who begin their journey. If they come through this means to faith, they begin their journey with a moment of surrender and self-awareness that seems, at least from my anecdotal observations, to have a transformative difference it is like it begins their faith journey on a trajectory that goes in a completely different end game than so many of the other places that a lot of us have started our faith journey so i think back to my faith journey raised in the church uh, had this moment with god which was beautiful but i I never hit a moment of surrender. And, and that moment that Heather was like, embrace your not enoughness. I hit that incredibly late in life after having done quite a bit of structure building and influence in the church before I hit that awareness. John talked about hitting it somewhere in the midst of a church plant. Like I would like to talk a little bit about our spiritual formation, not just the church model thing, but our spiritual formation, whether or not some of what we're missing here is not just mutuality in our church model leadership structures, but in our discipleship of self, like our, our own discipleship and our discipleship of our Christian communities. And even going back to, uh, and maybe it's just an ongoing process of like, mm-hmm are we even calling people to surrender to start their faith journey? Like, is that even part of the invitation that is mm-hmm. common as we are inviting people into a relationship with Jesus? Like, is that the good news? Is that like part of the good news is mm-hmm. this moment you're not of Lord. surrender? Mm. Good news. You're not Lord. Yeah. I think that's, I think there's something really true to that. Cause I think there is, cause if we're going to talk about it in leadership, and outside of it, just having the dialogue between the two co-leadership or mutuality, more importantly, requires a pretty deep sense of trust. Like Heather named this, like a trust in the other person and a willingness to move towards relational trust, a trust that God is at work, a trust that the spirit is birthing something. And I think that is very difficult to cultivate without spiritual formation practices that risk in trust. So rest Sabbath, like uh, being out of leadership for 
times, like where you're handing leadership responsibilities over to people around you. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the surrender piece, but I think that's all part of the same equation, which is, is God at work? Is the spirit at work? Is something bigger than you happening in the midst of you? And are you a participant in what God is doing? Mutuality, I think in many ways hinges on this notion that God is at work and we get to participate. We're invited to participate in something that God is already accomplishing and that God is doing ahead of us. And then if we can humble ourselves, pay enough attention, we'll get to participate. So I think you're right. Like that, like there's a new way of thinking or an old way of thinking in terms of surrender participation and the good news that God is ahead of us way before we've even begun this work. And I think what I would say to that, while I can, you know, I can attune and have empathy to the things that John was saying. I think the other side of that is what I'd say is like, you're not surrendering costs everyone too much. Yes. Like the same way the person who is struggling with addiction or alcohol, like the not surrendering, like the use of that to cope Mm. is costing everyone too much, including yourself. And so I think that's true. Like your ego or the need for this thing to be run by you or the control or whatever, like that is costing everyone too much. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's a double, there's a double side to that. Well, yes, I'm here. I'm with you. Like let's figure out how this affects you, but also like you're not surrendering is costing everyone too much. So I think that's how I would frame that. Mm -hmm. It's excellent. This has been really helpful. Uh, I I wonder if as we think about the leadership crisis, that is there's a wave of people retiring out of church leadership. Churches are consolidating, closing, consolidating. And uh, we've all named a crisis on the horizon. Actually, it's not even on the horizon anymore. It's just here Mm -hmm. of uh, younger generations leading in the church. And I wonder, I just want to plant this for us and for the listeners. I wonder if this model, though not the model, it's a model for, say, I could say experimenting around mutuality. I wonder if this model is actually uh, holds hope for an empowering future, like young millennials and Gen Zs or Gen Zs into actual church leadership Mm -hmm. because their culture has formed them for, for collaboration. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're less like the lone cigarette smoking marble man, you know, (laughs) and they're more of a, I want to be on a team. I want to, you know, contribute, collaborate. I wonder if this is a model forward that we need to be thinking about as we seek to empower these younger generations into handing them the keys for our churches in the coming years uh, I don't know. Something about this seems to be resonating with, with that need. Mm-hmm. Any they last words already, on that? They should already have the keys. True. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I think that's totally true. Uh, I, I mean, I think our own experience bears witness to that too. Like Missio is very young. We're a community of like an 85, 90% millennials Gen Z, um, and very few Gen X or boomers. Uh, and I think that's, I think that bears witness to this reality. Um, and I think what we've experienced too, like, there's, I guess there's a positive and a negative side to this. What we've experienced is that young people and young people of color really resonate with the conversation that we're having and the way in which we're trying to restructure leadership. Um, but another demographic of people really doesn't, um, <laughs> I can't imagine who that might be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's always the same demographic, uh, that doesn't resonate with it like consistently. And, yeah. uh, so I think that's the, it's like, it's really beautiful in one sense. I think something I'm constantly wrestling with and constantly frustrated with is that it's not beautiful and it's not, uh, life giving to another demographic of people, and uh, their response is quite hostile. And so I think like, like if I guess in some ways it's worth naming that because if you want to lead your community into change, this is like a new conversation, a part three maybe, but if you want to lead your community into mutual change, like the level of conflict that you're going to engage in is going to be massive. And so like, that's also where I'm hesitant to tell somebody this is an easier road. Like I think changing a community in this way is actually going to be kind of a harder journey because you're going to find one group that loves it and resonates with it and finds it healing and safe and spacious. And you're going to find another group that says it makes them feel unsafe. Yeah. Yep. 
Well, uh, on, on that note, we will leave a cliffhanger potential for part three and uh, see where that takes us. I just want to say thanks for your engagement, Heather. Um, I would add on your APEST, I would be curious if there's a P in there somewhere uh, that you have a prophetic ability to speak mm-hmm. to the core of things. That was, you did that beautifully today. Um, Johnny, thank you for how uh, well you, you just articulate mutuality as in this as an experiment and not the, but a, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so thank you both mm-hmm. of you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Appreciate it so much. So uh, we just want to feed forward to unite. Uh, Ange, any, like, what are you looking forward to about unite Angela? Uh, this exactly. Yeah, but in person, <laughs> So I am super excited, like maybe all human beings, to uh, get out of my town and meet people. But also, uh, I like Jesus Collective's unique approach. This is not a conference for people that love conferences because we are a deeply relational group of people. So while we will have all kinds of people that are innovating and thinking about amazing things, giving us deposits, we will largely roll up our sleeves and converse and develop relationships. And uh, I think that is priceless and a differentiator that I cannot wait to lean into. So like this, what we just did for an hour for two days. uh, Yes, (laughs) please. (laughs) And is one of the themes, like we're looking at four themes surrounding Jesus centered gospel and uh, so polarization, peacemaking, how uh, Jesus is incredibly relevant in our secular age. We're looking at identity, which is such a key part of this conversation that we've touched on, and then how we share power. So this conversation that we've just done is kind of a bit of a primer for a larger conversation we'll have together at, at Unite. Um, the dates for Unite are May 5 and 6. I got it. I did it. May five and six. You can learn about it on Jesus collective website, uh, under unite or our events page. So thank you, uh, everybody who's hung in there to the end of this conversation. And yeah, we pray that we would find you somewhere online or in person as we are linking arms to put Jesus at the center and unite and amplify this, this movement. for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.